There's no shortage of intriguing storylines heading into Thursday's matchup between the Seahawks and Cowboys. Most notably, Pete Carroll going up against two of his former offensive and defensive coordinators in Fort Worth. Do the Seahawks maybe regret letting go of one of those coordinators a few years ago? We're going to be discussing and breaking it down on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked on Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here for our Tuesday episode by my host and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s, whether you're listening in nearby Kenwick, Washington, or across the country in Syracuse, New York, the land of Jim Beheim. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're only a couple days away from kickoff in Arlington, the Cowboys and the Seahawks. It's a special edition matchup Tuesday. We will be diving into all the key positional battles to watch on offense and defense for the Seahawks going up against a very formidable Dallas Cowboys squad. This episode is brought your way by the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. With two teams right now that are wild card teams in the NFC set to battle in Arlington, Seahawks, and Cowboys on Thursday night. There's a number of key storylines heading into this Week 13 contest, but there's a unique storyline that you may not see in the entire rest of the NFL this year, and that is a longtime head coach in Pete Carroll going up against two of his former assistants that are coordinators for the Cowboys, Brian Schottenheimer on offense, as well as Dan Quinn on defense. And that's not something that you see very often in the NFL. And both these coaches had a lot of success, varying success. Dan Quinn obviously was a Super Bowl winner as the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Brian Schottenheimer didn't quite get to that level as the offensive coordinator. But speaking of Schottenheimer, I think this is maybe the most intriguing part of this. He is the one that got fired by the Seahawks. Dan Quinn left to become head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So it's not like Pete Carroll wanted him to leave or asked him to leave the staff. He was hired for a promotion with another franchise in his first head coaching opportunity. Brian Schottenheimer, even though the Seahawks were 10th in scoring in 2020, he was given a pink slip and they decided to go with Shane Waldron. And I think you go into this game with two offenses that are going in drastically different directions. The Cowboys, they are flying high under Brian Schottenheimer. The same cannot be said for Shane Waldron and the Seahawks. And now that it's been three years since that move was made to replace Schottenheimer with Waldron, you got to wonder maybe if there's a little bit of remorse there from Pete Carroll and company about that decision that was made three years ago. Well, I think that there has to be some remorse from the Seahawks. I mean, as you said, Corbin, uh, I think that uh, you just look at the success that that Brian Schottenheimer has had with the Dallas Cowboys and the fact that they their offense continues to be high flying. The Seahawks' offense has been plummeting, um, you know, over the, the you know not only this season, but you kind of look historically back over the last couple of years. And you know, Shane Waldron, I think, has done a solid job. I don't think that he has done a spectacular job. Whereas with Brian Schottenheimer. 
Zimmer, you know, again, the, the Seahawks were 10th in offense, uh, you know, when he was re, when he was let go. They had a quarterback in Russell Wilson who no longer is with the Seahawks, of course, either. And that was a lot of the scuttlebutt what was that this was a decision by Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And they chose their quarterback who they have since jettisoned. Um, you know, over the offensive coordinator, who again, Brian Schottenheimer has had a great deal of success since then. Look, kudos to Russell Wilson for having some success recently with the Denver Broncos. I wish them both well. Shane Waldron came in, and there had been some success here in Seattle with Geno Smith. I think if you're just going to compare Brian Schottenheimer's statistics with the Dallas Cowboys to what Russell Wilson has done in Denver or what Shane Waldron has done in Seattle, you're not really comparing apples to apples in my opinion but at the same time i think that there, there's no question about it brian schottenheimer is a very well respected coach throughout the nfl he is, deserves that uh you know dan quinn gus bradley if you're watching yesterday's show also deserve that kind of credit as well pete carroll hires good coaches that to me is the the end storyline here but I do think that the Seahawks have to kind of take a step back and recognize that Brian Schottenheimer was doing a heck of a job and why you would let go a co an offensive coordinator when your offense is 10th in the NFL to me has been one of the more confounding decisions of this uh, Seahawk era, at least during the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era. Yeah, as you mentioned, this isn't comparing apples to apples because Russell Wilson was, was prime Russell Wilson during his three years as the quarterback in Brian Schottenheimer's offense. But I think you could make the argument that he became prime Russell Wilson because of Brian Schottenheimer and taking his game to another level. We remember that first part of the 2020 season where he was on a historic tear. A lot of that had to do with what Brian Schottenheimer was dialing up as the play caller and some of the things that he did to help with his fundamentals that took him to another level. And we know he sputtered at the end of the season that year. There were some other factors that impacted that. And, and maybe Russell Wilson was starting to decline a little bit at that point. But I thought those three seasons, to me, Brian Schottenheimer has been the best play caller that the Seahawks have had. And, and that's not taking a shot at Daryl Bevel, who did some good things in Seattle. But you look at the numbers and Across the board, the Seahawks had their best offense in the three years that Brian Schottenheimer was the OC. In fact, you compare these two coaches, Shane Waldron and Brian Schottenheimer, there's a lot more red on Shane Waldron's charter. That is not a good thing. That means that your offense ranks between 21 and 32 in the NFL in that category, meaning you're in the bottom third. The Seahawks right now, most meaningful offensive categories – they are either at the very back of the yellow group or they are in the red. And you look at what Brian Schottenheimer did his three seasons in Seattle. There were only two examples where the Seahawks were in the bottom third in anything on offense. And they were mostly in the green, including being a top 10 scoring offense every single season that Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator. So again, you can look at these circumstances and there's some differences. Geno Smith versus Russell Wilson, obviously, but you could also make the argument that Shane Waldron's got three seasons with prime DK Metcalf, still in his prime Tyler Lockett, and now you've added Jackson Smith and Jigba and the tight ends they've got. I think the Seahawks have more offensive weapons. They've got two really good running backs, too. And you can make an argument of the offensive line being better than what it was when Brian Schottenheimer was here. 
But I think at the end of the day that this is a move the Seahawks are going to look back if they're not already regretting the decision to let go of Brian Schottenheimer. Thursday night has a chance to maybe be the nail in that coffin because if Brian Schottenheimer's offense for the Cowboys keeps playing the way they have the last five or six games, Dak Prescott has the highest QBR in the NFL by a wide margin since week six. He right now is playing like the best quarterback in football if you've looked at the last six, seven weeks. He has been dominant, and you've got to believe Brian Schottenheimer has been a big part of that, stepping up to the offensive coordinator role, much as he was with Russell Wilson during the three years they worked together. No, I uh, 100% agree with you. I, I cannot refute the statistics that you just put up there. I, I would I would mention that in both cases, both in Brian Schottenheimer and in uh, Shane Waldron statistics, there are some damning numbers where the numbers start to go down. Um, you know, year one, year two, year three, the NFL starts to kind of adapt to what you're trying to do here. And so there are some pretty key statistics there in which, again, there is a decline on both sides of the ball. Like, if I was to focus in on Brian Schottenheimer for a moment, the turnover margin for that to be year one, it was number one in the NFL, and that's a drop to 10 in, in year 10 in year three. That to me is a pretty significant factor. Certainly, third down percentage. If you look at that, the one red on Brian Schottenheimer's side again, the fact that that continued to go down, I know that that was part of the decision making uh, of why Seattle decided to go elsewhere. But at the same time, you look at Shane Waldron's numbers, they're putrid, you know, and that's the thing is, I you can't argue with the numbers. You can argue about the personnel. Um, and so that is one of the conversations I think that the Seahawks have to have kind of internally is that where have they screwed up? Is it just uh, who is making the play calls? I would argue that it also is about the fact that Seattle has had this turnover along the offensive line. They, they've, you know, Pete Carroll has kind of given himself, given the Seahawks some credit and just kind of acknowledging the fact that they now have five, six, seven, eight different offensive linemen that they feel very comfortable in rotating in and playing. I think it's a, a similar argument to when you hear people say, oh, we've got two different quarterbacks that we're going to rotate. If you've got two different quarterbacks, then you don't have a single quarterback. To me, Seattle had a much more stable offensive line. Call it a struggling pass protection offensive line that the Seahawks had during the Brian Schottenheimer era. They could move people in the running game. I don't know there's a single blocker on Seattle's offensive line right now that can move people in the running game. You wait till Thursday night when the Dallas Cowboys show people how to move people at the line of scrimmage. That is one of the hidden advantages that Brian Schottenheimer walked into with the Dallas Cowboys because they have fortified their offensive line with big time, you know, physicality at the line of scrimmage rather than some of the pass blocking finesse blockers that the Seahawks have chosen to uh, surround themselves with over the last couple of years. Certainly can be some good points made on both sides of the coin, but you know Brian Schottenheimer has had this game circled since the calendar came out, the schedule came out in May. He's going to be looking to show the Seahawks this is what you're missing. Shane Waldron, he is simply play calling for his future right now, and he needs to get things rolling for this offense to play much closer to their potential. They won't have any chance to beat the Cowboys on the road. Up next, it's Matchup Tuesday. We're going to look at the Seahawks offense going up against the Cowboys defense first. Don't go away. You're listening to Locked on Seahawks. 
which is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been in the hunt for sports or concert tickets in the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking, especially this time of year around the holidays. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you want to see the Seahawks battle the Cowboys on Thursday night, at AT&T Stadium with Game Time's awesome flash deals feature and a detailed stadium map. You can find awesome seats right now for under 100 bucks, and it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and Game Time's guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use the code Locked NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to each and every one of the twelves. Thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget tomorrow it is our special edition Wednesday Keys to Victory episode we'll be diving into what the Seahawks need to do to pull off the upset against the Dallas Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium plus picks to click game predictions and much more you won't want to miss it let's get to the matchup Tuesday festivities and this is a game that certainly has no shortage of intriguing matchups on both sides of the football for the Seahawks and going into this game this is one of those feared matchups where Seahawks fans have cringed Rob in the past because You are dealing with an elite pass rusher. In my opinion, the best defensive player in the NFL right now is not Aaron Donald anymore. It's Micah Parsons. The guy is an absolute machine. You can move him all over the place. He isn't just an edge rusher. The guy can rush from the A-gap. He can drop back in coverage. He is an absolute freak. And anytime you got to deal with a guy like that, it immediately moves to the offensive line. A Seahawks offensive line that has been much maligned But if there's a silver lining here, it's looking like there's a very good chance that Abraham Lucas will be back for this game on Thursday night. Yeah, and that is a a huge storyline that I think that we have to focus in on. Another potential storyline is the fact that Micah Parsons, uh, as dominant as he is, he was held out of Tuesday's practice due to illness. So maybe the Seahawks get their Christmas goose early and and Micah Parsons is unable to play in this game. Or even if he is able to play in this game, maybe he is not the dominant force that he has been to this point in the season. And again, what a dominant force that he he has been 11 and a half sacks so far. Obviously, the, the Cowboys have only played in 11 games. He, Corbin, he's got 23 quarterback hits. The, the Seahawks right now are led by Boye Mafe in the pass rushing department. He has seven sacks compared to Boye Mafe's 11 and a half in the same number of games played. He has Boye Mafe has 10 quarterback hits compared to Micah Parsons' 23. I mean, my goodness, there are NFL teams out there, it feels like, that don't have 23 quarterback hits. Now, that's kind of a joke. The Seahawks actually have 70 quarterback hits. But still, the point is that number 11 for the Dallas Cowboys is an absolute game record. To your point in saying that he is the best defensive player in the NFL, kind of taking that that role from Aaron Donald. The Seahawks know Aaron Donald, unfortunately, very, very well. 
they're going to get to know Micah Parsons. If he is fully healthy, then this is the most formidable defensive player that they will face all season long. And so I do think that this is an absolutely critical matchup for the Seahawks. Now, Charles Cross has stepped up and played incredibly well as a pass protector in primetime matchups against players that are similarly gifted as Micah Parsons. Abe Lucas, when he is healthy, I think gives them a good chance of being able to stop Micah Parsons, stop the, the rest of the Dallas Cowboys pass rush, which is also very, very good. Um, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is a terrific player. Dorrance Armstrong um, is also a terrific player. Actually has more sacks and quarterback hits at this point than Demarcus Lawrence does. And I think Demarcus Lawrence is one of the kind of most underrated pass rushers in all of the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys are absolutely loaded along the defensive line. If the Seahawks offensive tackles are unable to step up to the challenge, and it's going to be a formidable one, not just because of talent, but because of that crowd noise, then I think that this could be a Seahawk loss, much like the 49ers one, where it's basically over before the end of the first quarter. Yeah, this is a game that I'm looking at from a run game standpoint. Micah Parsons can play the run. I'm not saying that he is a one-dimensional player. He's obviously known for his pass rushing ability, but I have seen teams in the past find a little bit of success when they have been able to run right at him and play physical football. Now, this has not been a Seahawks offensive line that has been able to do that. But if you have Abraham Lucas back in the lineup, one thing that he instantly gives this offensive line that they've been missing is some nastiness. He plays with an edge and he's physical. So if you bring that in and it rubs off on the rest of the linemen and you get some one-on-ones with him against Parsons in the run game, you can slow him down as a pass rusher a little bit, make him think a little bit when he's getting battered around. That is, to me, maybe the most important thing that Abraham Lucas brings in this matchup coming back is that physicality. Maybe the Seahawks can have a more consistent run game, and Shane Waldron will stick with it. They need to in this game. You can't drop back 45 times against this Cowboys pass rush and expect positive results. They have got to be able to run the football to slow these guys down, and that may be the secret to being able to keep Geno Smith upright when they do decide to pass the football. Now, going to our next matchup here, let's get to the skill guys because – Deron Bland, I just want to say what a phenomenal season. He is having arguably the greatest season by a cornerback in NFL history. Last week, he became the first player in league history to return a fifth interception for a touchdown. I mean, it it just sounds like nonsense. Like, it sounds like a video game stat. But Deron Bland has been phenomenal, and it's just, it's remarkable to think about the fact that the Cowboys lost an all pro corner to a torn ACL in September. Trayvon Diggs has been out since September, and the Cowboys haven't missed a beat without him because Deron Bland has been so dominant and such a ball hawk and turning these interceptions into offense for the Cowboys. That matchup, him going against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, whoever Deron Bland is going up against. This Cowboys secondary has other talented corners as well, but that is your matchup that you want to be watching. Wherever Deron Bland is at, Geno Smith has to know where he is every single play because he has become that dominant shutdown corner, arguably the most dominant shutdown corner in a single season we have seen, turning those interceptions into touchdowns. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to go to Oxford, California and actually see the Dallas Cowboys during their, uh, they're in a training camp and it was impressive. Uh, Deron Bland is a terrific player. You mentioned Trayvon Diggs, all pro a couple of times so far. They got Stephon Gilmore on the other side there. The Cowboys are loaded at the cornerback position, even with the injury to Trevon Diggs. And that's why I specifically want to focus in on the Seahawks most physically gifted wide receiver, not only on this roster, but you talked about all time kind of conversation here with Deron Bland. I'll talk about all time from a Seahawks perspective. The most physically gifted wide receiver the Seahawks have ever had is not Steve Large. It's not Brian Blades. It's not Tyler Locker, who just passed by Brian Blades for second most uh, receiving yards in this franchise's history. It's DK Metcalf easily. So if you're going to get paid the way that DK Metcalf is, if you are as physically gifted as DK Metcalf is, this is exactly the type of game in which you have got to be able to kind of step up. And the reality is that DK Metcalf gets moved around a lot, um, you know, in, in the way that Seattle uses their wide receivers. But primarily, he plays on the left side. Primarily, Deron Bland plays on the right side. They are going to be matched up against each other. And one of the reasons why Deron Bland has those five interceptions returned for touchdowns, seven interceptions overall, is because of that pass rush. It forces rival quarterbacks to get the ball out of their hands very quickly so DK Metcalf has got to be able to do exactly what the critics said that he could not do run those double routes run those combo routes run the slant and go and, and be able to kind of create a big play over the top if you can do that you can beat this cowboy secondary but if you just try to dink and dunk Deron Bland's going to be able to pick one off he's going to get a six touchdown back uh six recept six pick six so far this season and I think if the Seahawks are going to be able to have any success getting the ball to DK Metcalf and their receivers on the outside, kind of an extension of the run game. And this is going to sound like a broken record because it is a broken record at this point. I feel like when I go to bed, I think about should the Seahawks get their tight ends involved in the offense because they just haven't been able to do it. But this is another game where you look at the safeties for the Cowboys. Jaron Curse is a monster. He's a big physical safety that you can play in the box. He's got one and a half sacks this year, but he's not known necessarily for his coverage traits. And this is a guy that has had some issues with tight ends in the past. And so I'm looking at Will Disley. I'm looking at Noah Fant, Colby Parkinson, who's been really quiet for about two months. It feels like we haven't seen him do anything in the passing game in a long time, but this is a game where I'm going to keep saying it. You can open up the rest of your offense with the tight ends, not just the run game, getting these guys the football. The two times they got him involved last week, they got a 21-yard catch from Will Disley, and they moved the chains on third and 15 to Noah Fant. Get these guys involved, and you can help neutralize that pass rush a little bit, and I think you can change up the coverages to open things up for your wide receivers. And so I'm looking at the tight ends thinking that this is a game where they have absolutely got to show up for the Seahawks to have a chance to beat the Cowboys. When we come back, Rob, we're going to switch gears. Seahawks defense going up against the Cowboys offense, the number one scoring offense in the NFL. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by our friends over at FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot. On FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets 
with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and they offer a wide range of betting options, including spread, such as the Seahawks being nine-point underdogs on the road in Dallas. Player props, including Geno Smith's total passing yards or touchdowns on Thursday night, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and enjoy the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget, tomorrow, it's our weekly Keys to Victory episode. We'll be diving into what the Seahawks need to do from a game plan perspective on offense and defense to upset the Cowboys on the road in prime time. Picks to click, game predictions, and much more. You don't want to miss it. Continuing our Matchup Tuesday episode here, we just looked at the Seahawks' offense against the Cowboys' defense But what Dallas has that has really driven them to this hot start and being in a position to still maybe catch the Eagles in the NFC East, it is that high-flying, number-one-ranked scoring offense with Brian Schottenheimer at the controls. They've got Dak Prescott playing arguably the best football of his career to this point. So going into this game, it's going to be interesting that we are going to divert this way, Rob. But you and I were talking about it before the show Usually we'd be mentioning defensive line versus offensive line right off the bat with most matchups, especially against a really good offensive line like the Cowboys. And yet you and I are going to be solely focusing on the skill positions, uh, mainly because we expect that's where the Seahawks have a chance to win this game, not in the trenches. Yeah, that's the thing is I just don't think that the Seahawks are very likely to be able to compete with the Dallas Cowboys along the line of scrimmage, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So, you know, let's just jump in with it here. The Seahawks invested number five overall selection in Devin Witherspoon to be able to kind of try to uh, eliminate wide receivers who have been statistically dominant as C.D. Lamb has been to this point. Corbin, he is absolutely dominating the Dallas Cowboys in just about every receiving category that there is. He has 104 targets. He has 78 catches. The next closest is Dallas's tight end, Jake Ferguson, who has 58 targets. Again, that CD Lamb had 104, so roughly double. Jake Ferguson has 40 catches. Again, CD Lamb has roughly double that with 78 catches. He leads the team with six touchdown receptions as well. He takes the primary number of his snaps out of the slot position. Uh, Corbett, I've not been a huge fan of the fact that the Seahawks have historically not move their most dynamic cornerbacks and move them around to try to travel with wide receivers. I think if you have a cornerback who is that gifted, then let him do that. And I applaud the fact that the Seahawks have done that a little bit with Devin Witherspoon. So this is exactly the type of game in which I think that the Seahawks should try to allow Devin Witherspoon to be able to try to travel with CD Lamb and try to absolutely blanket him. I want to see Dak Prescott beat the Seahawks by attacking Seattle's defensive backs with somebody other than CD Lamb. If they can do it, hey, more power to them, more power to Brian Schottenheimer and Dak Prescott. But I do think think that if the Seahawks eliminate number 88, C.D. Lamb, from the Dallas Cowboys passing attack, easier said than done, obviously. But if they're able to do that, I think this becomes a much more interesting football game. This is a game, if you're wanting to win Defensive Rookie of the Year and you're Devin Witherspoon, this is a way that you can really put a feather in your cap. 
if you can go out and find a way to, you're not going to shut CD Lamb down, but if you can find a way to neutralize him to an extent, don't give up touchdowns, maybe, uh, you know, Jamar Chase type production. He had a really good game against Chase against the Cincinnati That's Bengals. Good. If you can come up with numbers like that, and as you said, force Dak Prescott to beat you with his other receivers, and they're not slouches. I mean, Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks are, are good football players, yep. but they're not CD Lamb. And if you can force the Cowboys to beat you with secondary options, I think it does improve your chances to win this football game. I think that really what this boils down to, though, if the Seahawks are going to win this game, they have to shut down the run game, at least make it that the run game isn't able to sustain drives for the Dallas Cowboys. And I also worry about the pass catching ability of Tony Pollard. We talked about Christian McCaffrey last week. This is a, a guy that's very similar in the sense that Pollard has a receiving background. He's extremely athletic. This is a guy who can move around the formation. Right now, he's got almost 700 rushing yards, 233 receiving yards. He's only scored four touchdowns, but some of that's because CeeDee Lamb and the receivers are gobbling up those touchdowns. But this guy is a game changer out of the backfield who can do a ton of damage, both as a runner and a receiver. So that is going to put the stress once again in the linebackers. It's a very similar situation to going up against Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey actually didn't have a great game as a receiver. I thought the linebackers did a fairly decent job from that perspective. But Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks got caught up on some blocks. They weren't able to work off of them. And that allowed Christian McCaffrey to have a bunch of big runs. If they have similar issues in this game against the Cowboys and Dallas is able to run the football, it's game over. With the passing offense they have, you have to find a way to make this team one-dimensional and try to take away CeeDee Lamb with Devin Witherspoon, if you could do those two things and, and at least keep them from dominating the game on the ground, then you have a better chance to win this football game. And I think this is an incredibly important matchup, not just because of Pollard's ability to run the ball, but also, as I said, the pass-catching ability. I 100% agree with you, Corb. I mean, you know, CD, or excuse me, Tony Pollard's biggest run from as a runner is 31 yards, but he's got a 60 yard reception. The, the Seahawks have struggled with backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, they have done that, you know, basically throughout the Pete Carroll era. That has been an issue. Um, I love the fact that you just kind of cited what Christian McCaffrey did just a week ago because I think that Tony Pollard is not as gifted as Christian McCaffrey, but Brian Schottenheimer does a terrific job of kind of scheming him up to be able to create some catches. A player that I mentioned way back when we were talking about the Seahawks going against the Dallas Cowboys um, in a preseason game, Deuce McAllister, he's, excuse me, Deuce Vaughn, Jeez, Deuce Vaughn, uh, the, the kind of diminutive but a spectacular receiver out of the backfield, has the, the kind of wiggle that I really think that the Seahawks linebackers could struggle with. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he is a little bit of a secret weapon in this game. Rico Dowdle, the other running back that the Dallas Cowboys have. I say other running back because he has been statistically just about as effective as Tony Pollard has uh, for the Dallas Cowboys here. That's the thing. is The Cowboys aren't – this isn't the, the Emmett Smith Cowboys. The Cowboys only have 10 rushing touchdowns so far this season they got 23 passing touchdowns they are using uh Dak Prescott and his passing ability much more than they are the running game but still this is an area in which the Seahawks have proven vulnerable to running backs out of the backfield as receivers and they are going to have to tighten things up because the Dallas Cowboys will be able to kind of pick them apart if, if the Seahawks linebackers are not up to the task capping off matchup Tuesday here as I mentioned, we could easily talk about Seattle's defensive line going up against 
Dallas's offensive line. In the end, if that ends up being lopsided, then the Seahawks are going to be in trouble. But I think an under-the-radar matchup going into this game. We've seen what Dak Prescott can do with his legs, especially that playoff game in 2019 where he had a couple big runs at the end. The Seahawks did not have Jamal Adams yet at that point. Jamal Adams is expected to be ready to go for this game. He's healthy enough to be able to play. He is going to have the onus fall on him that Dak Prescott, if he decides to take off, he is not the most mobile QB. He's not going to run four threes or four fours, but he's a big body quarterback, more of that Cam Newton style runner. Jamal Adams, you better be ready to bring your hard hat and come up and, and tackle him because he breaks a lot of tackles when he runs the football and he can still be very effective in that capacity, even at this stage of his career. And from a passing game standpoint, they'll go to their tight ends. As you mentioned, the second most targets on this team is to uh, their tight end from Wisconsin. And I don't know why my Jake, Fer- Jake Ferguson, Jake Ferguson, for some reason, the name was not going out. I loved him in the draft a couple years ago too, but Ferguson's number two on targets in this team. So Jamal Adams is going to get matched up against him. You could expect Dak Prescott. He's going to take some shots to his tight ends in this game as well. So I think number 33 going up against Dak Prescott, that quarterback versus safety matchup is one to very much keep an eye on in this game. Oh, it absolutely is. I think that there's not very many times where I'm going to strongly suggest I think that the Seahawks basically need to have somebody who is going to be shadowing the quarterback because when Dak Prescott, they, the Seahawks have been burned by Dak Prescott running for touchdowns in the past. Um, and, and longtime Seahawks fans will remember what I'm referring to here. They absolutely need to have somebody who can do that. I think that Jamal Adams is uniquely uh, uniquely suited to be able to provide that. The same thing, the same reason why many of us have called out Shane Waldron. Many of us have called out Geno Smith. Many of us in, in, in this particular podcast, I basically called out the decision to select Devon Wither, Devin Witherspoon, excuse me, at number five overall. Uh, DK Metcalf, the, the highest paid and most gifted wide receiver in this franchise's history. Same kind of thing here. I'm calling out Jamal Adams. This is why the Seahawks brought you in. It's for games just like this primetime showdown. If Dak Prescott is going to leave the pocket, this is the game where you have to punish him for those type of decisions. Jamal Adams is one of the few players on the Seahawks that has that physicality, that is old school Pete Carroll kind of football. You got to show it on on this particular primetime situation. Otherwise, you might as well start packing it up because it's going to be a long offseason during the regular season where Seahawks fans are wondering what could have been. As always, you can follow me on threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob on X at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our typical pregame show. It's keys to victory, orchestrating a game plan, picks to click, and much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.